Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. We're going to start our new series this morning which is simply entitled The Book of James. Over the next five weeks, at least that's the plan, is to go through each chapter of the Book of James and hopefully that we will be more mature as a result. Hence, we've entitled as the subtitle, Marks of Maturity. What you need to know about the Book of James is that it was written by the half-brother of Jesus. I say the half-brother of Jesus because they had the same mother, but a different father. And uh, this man, Jesus, uh, James, sorry, was the half-brother of Jesus. But uh, prior to Jesus' resurrection, James did not believe that Jesus was, in fact, the Messiah. He did not believe that He was the Son of the living God. He would have been like most brothers and sisters. They would have mocked Him, ridiculed Him and said, who do you think you are? But it wasn't until after the resurrection that James became a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, not only as his older half-brother, but as the Lord Jesus Christ, as the Messiah, as the Son of the living God. He was also a leader in the church at Jerusalem and he was martyred in 62 AD. The recipients of the letter were the Christian Jews who'd been scattered due to the persecution and were living outside of Palestine. And of course, the purpose of this letter The purpose that James wrote it was in order to bring understanding and attain spiritual maturity. Everyone say maturity. 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 Aligning our behaviour and our believing. It's a letter about how faith and works can coexist together. It's not faith or works, it's faith and works. And James is an incredible, insightful book, how faith and works, faith and actions coexist together. And they coexist together in order to grow us up and to bring us to that place of maturity. To quote Warren Wisby, not everyone who grows old grows up. In other words, growing old is inevitable, but growing up is a choice. And we need to make that choice. And the book of James is an incredible place to help us make good choices. Amen. And so today we're going to be looking at James chapter 1. And over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at the marks of maturity. And today we're going to be looking at the issue of stability. Everyone say stability. James touches on the issue of stability. If there's something we need today, it's stability in our families, in our jobs, in our churches, in our community is stability. And James is an incredibly practical, helpful book in order for these marks of maturity to come to the fore. And so with that in mind, let's turn to the book of James, chapter 1, starting at verse 1. Says James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. And I say to you, greetings. Verse 2 Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete and not lacking anything. Sounds good. 
I'm sure you'd agree. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and they are unstable in all they do. Believers in humble circumstance ought to take pride in their high position. But the rich should take pride in their humiliation since they will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with the scorching heat and withers the plant. It blossom, its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, major theme of the book of James, having stood the test, the person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love Him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does He tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin and sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like the shifting shadows. He chose to us, uh, sorry, He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all He created. Love the book of James. James, from the very beginning of this letter, encourages the readers what to do when facing hard times. The book of James effectively is a handbook for hard times. And I'm sure I'm in good company when I say, who's ever experienced a hard time or two in their life. Am I in good company this morning? Well, James has some very practical advice in order to handle those hard times, in order that we might remain stable and steady in an unstable world. I don't know if you're aware of this, but this world in which we live is very unstable. The economy is unstable. Relationships are unstable. World leaders are unstable right now. We live in a very unstable environment. And James is giving us advice how we might remain stable, strong, secure, even though everything else around us is anything but those things. It's about having the ability, uh, sorry, it's about having an abiding stability in a world of fragility. And after 2,000 years, these words of James are as true today. And he gives some very practical advice on what to do when it comes to remaining stable in the midst of your trials, temptations, and tribulation. And I've broken it down to five things this morning and I wanna get straight into it. And the first one is simply this, that when you are facing tough times, when you are facing hard times and you wanna remain stable in those tough times that we cannot avoid, James says, the first thing that we need to do is to keep our joy. Everyone say joy. joy. Says you gotta keep your joy. He says, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. That does not make sense. 
by virtue of it being a trial, I don't have joy. And yet James is like, no, 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 consider it pure joy when you face these kinds of hardships. Now, I just wanna clear something up from the beginning. God is not a sadist. He's not sadistic. He's not looking down from heaven, seeing us suffering in our pain and getting joy from the pain that we experience. And James is not hinting for a moment that we should be masochistic and that we should enjoy the pain. That's weird. That's not normal. If you enjoy pain, you are, we'll pray for you later. That's not what James is saying. He's not saying that we should enjoy the pain. Much like Jesus, we should endure the pain, not enjoy the pain. Jesus endured the pain of the cross. Why? For the joy set before Him. Jesus had a joy, not in His pain, but what the pain would indeed produce. It's much like those that are in school right now. And you have to sit test after test, exam after exam. And there's not a lot of joy in the test. There's not a lot of joy in the exams. And there are many young people who say, I wonder if I have to go to school. We had that on Monday, two weeks off school. And two of our students, one's no longer in school, but two of our kids who are still in school say, I don't wanna go to school. I know, life can be like that. Life is not always rainbows and butterflies. Life is not full of the moments that we always wanna do things. But there is a joy when you get through those tests, when you get through those exams, then you can get on to living life and doing the job that you can do in light of the exams that you have passed. There is a joy that you have presently because of the breakthrough that will come in the future. Are you with me this morning? Can you follow me? Just focus on me, focus on me. That's cool. And so that is what James is talking about here. He's talking about a joy that we can have now because of a future reality. But because we know the future reality is assured, we live with the joy of it now. This is what he's saying. Consider it pure joy because you know it produces. In other words, it will show you and it will grow you. These tests that we face, James calls them the testing of our faith. And much like when you sit an exam at school, the exam result shows you where you're at. The exam results shows you what you learnt during that year. And so it shows us. This testing of our faith that we sit shows us and it grows us. Firstly, it shows us. If I think back to 2016, and I know I've shared this before, but if I think back to 2016 and some of the difficulties we faced, starting in January, and then what took place throughout the mid-year with my health and all the other things that took place last year. And then many of you have your own situations that you faced and that was compounded because we were trying to love you through that. And there was many things that we as a church faced. We sat a test last year. And and I really do feel that that test showed us where we were at. And it showed the community and the family and the friends that we're trying to reach where we're at. And this is what James is talking about. There's a joy that comes because the test that we uh, face 
actually produces in us a perseverance. And when we choose not to give up and when we choose not to give in and when we choose to be stable and secure, it speaks to people. There are people that you're speaking to right now about this church and about your faith and they're saying, yeah, 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 we'll see. That's what they're saying. They're saying, we'll see. They want to know whether you're going to be here in a year. They want to know because some of them have been tracking your lifestyle and your lifestyle would suggest you do something for two years or three years. And so why would they buy into your two year or three year fad? They want to know that this is something that is lasting. They want to know this is something that you're going to be around for. And so sometimes it's not our words that's going to win people, it's our stickability, our perseverance that's going to win people. It's what we do more than what we say that's actually going to speak to them. And I think with all that we faced last year, and to be honest, some of the things that we faced, I still don't have answers for. See, the testing of our faith is not necessarily about getting the answers. James does not say that the testing of our faith produces answers. He says it produces perseverance. See, some of us are looking for answers and God's looking for perseverance. I don't know why I got sick last year. I don't know why I spent three weeks in hospital last year. I don't know why I almost died because of that blood infection last year. I don't know why I had to have heart surgery, but that was not the test. The test was, are you going to stick around? Are you going to still be here preaching what you preached before, after? And I'd like to think that me being up here doing what I'm doing today is part of what I'm talking about. It's showing you my faith because I still don't have answers, but I'm here. And what I learned about 2016 is it produced something in me. It produced perseverance. It produced stickability. You know, all the successful people in life have one thing in common and it's this, stickability. They just hang around. If anyone's ever said to you, you hang around like a bad smell, that's a good thing. Just got to hang around. That's what James is talking about here. Don't give up. Don't give in. But stick around and hang around. This testing of our faith, it shows us. It produces perseverance and it also grows us. He says that it will produce maturity, completeness, and that you will not lack anything. I can honestly say when I came to the end of 2016 and I look back over my year, I've changed. Who can say that 2016 changed you? Who can say it changed you for the better? Because this I know, 2016 changed every person in this room. Some got better, some got bitter, but it did change you. Every one of us is either better or more bitter as a result of 2016. And I know this to be true. When we get to the end of 2017, it will change us. And we will either be better or we will be bitter. And James is telling us how to be better. He says, man, if you persevere when the tests are on your life, hey, you will mature, you will grow, you will change, you will be complete and you won't lack some of the things that you presently lack. And he's not talking about a brand new Ferrari. Some of the things we lack is strength and fortitude and boldness and courage. And when you pass these tests, you come out on the other side with greater strength, courage, fortitude and boldness. And that's what He wants to give us. These early Christians were not having an easy time of it. 
They were getting persecuted and many of the authors of the New Testament were persecuted for their faith. Many of the early saints were martyred. They were not having an easy time. They did not get their get out of jail free card. They did not get their red Ferrari. They did not get their wife. They did not get their boyfriends. They did not get this. They did not get that. But what they got was something more important. And that was a fortitude and a strength and a boldness and a courage to hang around and not give up and not give in. And they kept their joy. This is what I know. And this is why I believe James starts with this particular thought. That when you are going through a tough time, the first thing that usually goes is your joy. It's your joy. It's your joy. I think about the young married couples that come down the aisle and they get married and it's full of joy. It's full of joy. And it's over time that the joy can get diminished. And the joy is an incredible indicator of where we're at or where we're not at in our relationship with God and with others. And so the first thing James says is keep your joy. Secondly, he says, ask for wisdom. We're talking about a stickability when facing trials and hardship of any kind. He says, keep your joy. And secondly, ask for wisdom. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, quick question, anyone out there that lacks wisdom? Some of you are honest, the rest of you are just liars. And lacking wisdom, it's fine, it's okay, it's all right. Or maybe just tired, you can't raise your hand, that's all right, that's cool. Let me ask you another question. Who out there knows what wisdom is? See, I think we often confuse knowledge with wisdom and wisdom with knowledge. Knowledge and wisdom are two different things. Knowledge is based upon intellect and fact. And that's not a bad thing. But there are a lot of people with knowledge, but they don't have wisdom. There are lots of non-Christians that read the Bible. They have more knowledge about the Bible, but they haven't had the wisdom to apply the knowledge. And that's what wisdom is. Wisdom is applied knowledge. Wisdom is the ability to apply the correct knowledge at the right time. There are some things in the Scripture that can appear to contradict itself. And that's where you need wisdom to know when to apply this truth versus when to apply that truth. And so James is saying, if you lack wisdom, which we do, then what we need to do is to ask God. And when we ask God, know this, that He will give us what we ask for generously. He has abundant wisdom. It's not like God is limited on wisdom. And so if Ashley asks for wisdom and then Andre asks for wisdom and then Vicky asks for wisdom, he hasn't got enough for you. No, no, he's got abundant wisdom. And he wants to be able to give it to you. It pleases him to give you that wisdom. In the Old Testament, there's a man by the name of Solomon. Now Solomon was the young son of King David. And Solomon in his young years was... uh, Uh, given the throne of his father. His father passed away and Solomon was the man chosen to replace David on the throne. The problem with Solomon is he was so young and Solomon knew that he didn't have the wisdom required to rule and to lead a nation. And when asked by God to ask of anything of him, Solomon asked for one thing. He said, "I, I need wisdom. And the Bible records that that request pleased God. And I want you to get that. 
Solomon's request of God for wisdom pleased him. When you go to God and ask for wisdom, it pleases God that you would ask for His wisdom and His help for your present situation and need. It pleases Him when we ask for wisdom. So don't be backward in coming forward with wisdom. Can we just do a check on our prayer life just for a moment? How much of our prayer is asking for wisdom or telling God what the problem is? So I think sometimes if we remember to pray, it's usually just communion with our worries. I think a lot of our prayer is spent just telling God what He already knows and we do it with great anger, frustration and very little faith and we call that prayer. That's not prayer. That's what I call communing with your worries. Have I ever done it? Absolutely. But when I do it, I need to be aware of it so I can correct that. How much of our time in prayer is spent saying, God, I've got a situation and I don't know the answer to this situation. I need your wisdom. I want to encourage you. And then the Bible says, when you ask for wisdom, believe and don't doubt. It's not enough just to pray that prayer and then go and worry about it. You've got to actually believe, having asked, He will let you know. I've often found God doesn't speak to me there and then in my ask. But in my resting and in my trusting, it's usually two, three, four days later, God will drop a thought into my heart in response to the request I made. And what I've found and what I want to encourage you to do, when you pray a prayer, often when we're praying, we're so focused and so agitated and so uptight, often we don't hear. So what I try to do is pray in faith and then trust. And it's usually in the unguarded moments of my life when I'm not thinking about anything God can speak. When, I don't know if you've ever noticed this when raising kids. It's not until they stop talking that you can actually speak to them. It's just a rule of thumb when it comes to good communication. In order to hear, you've got to stop talking. And sometimes we're so busy, God, speak to me. God, I need your wisdom. God, 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 oh, you haven't even spoke to me. Oh, I'm done. And say, God, I need your wisdom and I'm going to trust that over the next few days, maybe even weeks, you're going to speak to me about this particular subject and I want to have the ears to hear and have the eyes to see that moment when you speak. And it's amazing where God often speaks to me. It's in those unguarded moments like the shower, the toilet, or those moments when you're not thinking about those things and God speaks because we're not thinking about it. For me, I've learned a great time for me to hear God is in the morning. My first thoughts in the morning are the ones I cherish the most because that's when I find God speaks to me. Probably more to the point, that's when I hear best because my mind is not cluttered with all kinds of thoughts that I have during the day. I'm not here to put that as a law on you as to how to do this, but you've got to find that place when you hear God and you've got to create that place. That's where faith comes in. That's saying that we trust Him. And so when it comes to being stable, in hard times and troubled times, we need to keep our joy. We need to ask for wisdom. And thirdly, we need to keep our perspective. James says, blessed is the one. If I say one. He says, blessed is the one who perseveres. In other words, the only person you're ultimately responsible for is you. 
You might have a great desire to see your husband saved. You may have a great desire to see your wife saved or your children saved or this thing or that thing happen. But at the end of the day, in your desire to help people, the only person you're ultimately responsible for is yourself. And I've seen many, many people shipwreck their faith in order to try and help others. And so James says, blessed is the one who perseveres. And in order for us to persevere and in order for us to make it to the end, we've got to look after ourselves. We've got to feed ourselves. We've got to prioritise God for ourselves. The greatest gift I can give you as a pastor is a healthy me, not a tired, worn out, frustrated version of me. That guy is not pleasant, as I'm sure when you're like that, you're not pleasant. But we need to prioritise our time with God in order to be able to help Others. I've seen so many people just give up on God because they're trying to help people but do it in their own strength. So blessed is the one who perseveres. He says they will receive a crown of life. What James is trying to help us to understand and see is that this life is not all about this life. Blessed is the one who perseveres for they shall receive a crown of life. One of the things I'm most grateful for in my upbringing, in our home, was my dad's perspective, not just of Jesus, but his perspective of eternity. And as a kid growing up, probably the phrase that I remember most is this one, in light of eternity, what does it matter? In light of eternity, what does it matter? I saw dad frustrated and at the end of his frustrated moments, he always finished with this, Tony, I'm sorry. Hey, in light of eternity, what does it matter? When he saw me in my frustrated moments and tried to bring perspective to me, he said, hey, Tony, remember this, in light of eternity, when we're 10,000 years from now, this is going to seem just a blip on the radar in light of eternity, in light of eternity, in light of eternity, in light of eternity, in light of eternity. And it changed my thinking. It changed my thinking. We were not just born for this life. We were born for another life. C.S. Lewis, the great writer, said this, if I find myself, sorry, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. How many of you have found in your life moments of dissatisfaction? We all have. And then you think, if only I was married. And then you get married. And you you know what? You're happily married. You're grateful to God for that. But there's still a dissatisfaction because there's something else you crave. And then you get that desire filled. But then you find, I'm still dissatisfied because there's, there's something else I crave. Is it just me or has anyone else found that? And what C.S. Lewis is saying here is that the reason there is a dissatisfaction in each and every one of us, no matter what we achieve, no matter what we do, no matter who we are around, is because there's something that's not on this or in this life that will satisfy you. There's something else. And that something else is a relationship with Christ that we might have eternity. See, this letter of James is not just, is trying to remind us that life is not all about this life. In a hundred years from now, none of us will be here. In 200 years, none of us will be here. In 300 years, none of us will be here. 
In 400 years, none of us will be here. And I could go on and on and on because that's what eternity does, on and on and on. And we spend so much time worried about 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 years. We put all of our effort and energy into this and forget about And where we're going to spend the majority of our life is in eternity. And James is saying, don't forget that. Remember, the one who perseveres is the one who receives a crown of life. So you know what? Suck it up, princess. That's my translation of what James is saying. Have you ever found yourself thinking, I didn't sign up for this? Have you ever found yourself saying that? Got a little bit tough. Thought Christianity was going to take away my problems, but it's actually created a few more. I didn't sign up for that. And can I just remind you? Yes, you did. Can I just go back to the founder of our faith and the example he left? As the leader, so the followers. Jesus died on a cross. That suggests to me that if our founder of our faith went through a few hardships, we might just go through a few hardships. We did sign up for this. And James said, come on, don't give up, don't give in. The one who perseveres is the one who receives a crown of life. We're talking about having a stable environment in an unstable world. People are looking, watching, want to know if we are the real deal or not. And James is saying, come on, keep your joy. Ask for wisdom. Keep your perspective. And number four, stay away from temptation. Stay away from temptation. He says, when you're tempted, again, interesting language, he didn't say if you're tempted. He says, when you're tempted. That suggests to me that every one of us in this room, myself included, has been tempted. Every one of us. And it also suggests to me that we will be tempted again. Every one of us, even Jesus himself was tempted and yet he did not sin, which also tells me that temptation in and of itself is not a sin. So if you've been tempted, relax, you haven't sinned. It's something that we all face. James goes on to say that you should not say that God is tempting me. And again, if you've ever found yourself saying that, no condemnation, this is why we're doing this teaching to learn. James says, don't say God is tempting you. God doesn't tempt any one of us. God does test us. And it's as He tests us, we find out what's in us. And what's in us is the problem when it comes to temptation. God is not tempting us, but each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own desires. And so the test that God brings our way is to help us reveal where we are at. And so whatever season of life we are in, no one made you do what you did. James is saying, don't say God is tempting you. You can only be as tempted as much as what is in you. And so with all due respect to certain upbringings in this place, at the end of the day, your life right now is not your dad's fault. And it's not your mum's fault. And it's not your wife's fault. And it's not your husband's fault. And it's not those kids. They didn't make you do anything. 
they may have bought something out that was already in you. And James is trying to get us to that place where we recognise what is in us is the problem. It's not what happened to you. It's what goes on on the inside of us. Because I know lots of people who've had lots of bad things happen to them and they don't live with the same bitterness that others do who have half the amount of bad things happening to them. And so James goes on and says that we need to be careful when it comes to temptation. When it comes to dealing with temptation, can I just say two things about that? I would say one, when dealing with temptation, firstly, uh, to put some healthy boundaries in your life before you're tempted. The Bible says when you're tempted, so I know temptation is coming, so I'm going to put some healthy boundaries in my life so that the temptations that come my way aren't as many as they need to be. You can't avoid it, but you can minimise them. I was in Perth recently and I was speaking to some college students in the church that I visited. And one of the young men asked me this question. He says, what do you do when the devil, blame the devil, is causing him to have thoughts about his girlfriend? And I said, with all due respect to what you're asking, firstly, I do believe that there is a devil, a fallen angel, but I don't know that he's as involved in your situation as you are talking about. I said, you're talking about something that is very physical. And I said, in order to treat a situation correctly, you need to diagnose a situation correctly. And so this is, this is, this is a, a physical issue. God has made you a certain way with a certain sex drive and that's a physical issue. And that's a godly thing. There's nothing wrong with that. But in order to control what God has given you, you need to put some healthy boundaries in place. And uh, we have some healthy boundaries that we would uh, ask all of our young people to abide by. And uh, we do that with good intent and good reason because we want to have some healthy boundaries. And so, you know, when you're a young man or woman and, and you're in your teenage years and testosterone is high for the young men and you're home alone when there's no parents, the temptation is far greater than if you don't put yourself in that position. That's all I'm saying. It's not a legalistically imposed thing, but wisdom would prevail. If you want to hold on to your purity, let's put some healthy boundaries in place. For those of you who find themselves in a tempting situation that you couldn't avoid, and that will happen and does happen, just like it happened to Joseph. Joseph was a young, ruddy, handsome uh, Jewish boy and he caught the attention of Potiphar's wife and Potiphar's wife came to him and she said, go to bed with me. Joseph, being the good Christian man that he was, said, I'm not tired. <laughs> she tried again day after day after day. And in the end, she just grabbed him and went for his clothes and Joseph just ran. What do you do when being tempted? You just run away from it. You just get out of that situation as quickly as possible. You put healthy boundaries in place before it happens. And when it happens, you get the heck out of there. That's all I can say for that one. And number five, as a band comes, that would be great, is remember God's goodness. We're talking about remaining stable in an unstable environment. Stability is crucial for this generation. Particularly, can I say this to all the older ones, our young ones, 
They need to see stability. They need to see stability. I, I ran into someone when I was buying some paint to do BJ's room recently, and I didn't know this guy, but the guy knew me. He said, do you lead Victory Church, don't you? And I said, yeah, yeah, I do. He said, uh, I've been to your church. I said, oh, great. What was that? He said, oh, it was a bloke night. And I said, oh, what made you come along to that? And he said, oh, someone in your church, mentioned him by name, invited me. And it was so sad for me because the person he mentioned by name is no longer in church. And I thought, here's a man who was interested enough in coming. And I get this opportunity to speak with him. One of those divine appointments. But my case is weakened because his original source is no longer here. Can you imagine how much harder it is for me to say, hey, look, he's not here anymore, but why don't you come? Can you see how much harder that is? Can you see how much harder it is for our younger generation to say we believe in the institution of marriage according to the Word of God? But we're just not prepared to hang in there to get the necessary help, counsel, to humble ourselves, to make a marriage work. What does that say to our young people? I mentioned my dad earlier, but one thing I, well, many things I love about my dad, but here's another one. He's 82 years of age, he got saved when he was 38. And he's only ever been in one church other than this one. And that was the one he got planted out of. He's never left the church. Has he seen lots of bad things? Yes. Has he been disappointed? Absolutely. For the biggest part of his time in church, his son, me, has been leading him. Have I done some dumb things and wrong things that would have made him look like a bad parent? Absolutely. And yet he's still here. If there's something our young people need to see more than ever before, it's a stickability. It's a stability just to hang around. You know, when someone comes to church for the first time, it's new, it's exciting, it's, it's wonderful. We say, wow, that's amazing. Man, everyone's so happy, everyone's so friendly. And then you hang around a little while, you stay a month. Oh, I don't know if I like that guy. Yeah, but he was always here. And then you hang around, you know, six months. And, uh, I like the church, but I don't like him, him, him or her, especially her. I'm not pointing to you, Alex, I'm not. I'm just, just sorry, just... And by the time you're here a few years, you don't like anyone. It's choices. Dan and Ashari are going to walk down the aisle next week. Shiny and new and it's awesome and we celebrate that. But do you know how many people I've seen walk down the aisle? And they're no longer together. Because... When you've been around a while, it's not as shiny. And when things aren't as shiny, you have to polish it. It's our responsibility to bring the shine back and the fun back. And I love this book of James because it's so practical. But it's not just a book about works. It's a book about faith. We've got to do it with faith. We've got to do it with faith.
I, I know in my dad's life, because I worked with him for so many years, that, that many of his dreams have not come to pass. And as he gets older, there's a good chance that they may not come to pass. But he's still here. He's still here. And I know in some ways there are things that have happened that he never even dreamed, hoped or even imagined. And it's because of that that he's still here. Because he's been able to hold on to the good even when there are bad things around. When James says, remember the goodness of God, he wasn't living in a bubble. He wasn't in seminary, just hidden away, thinking everything's rosy. No, he was very mindful of the bad things that happen. We live in a fallen world. We live in a world that is decaying. We live in a world that is not functioning as God intended because of man's sin. Everything we see is tainted by sin. But all around us is the goodness of God. Every good gift is from above. And the trouble is, we often don't see that. We often go to blaming God. It's amazing. God gets blamed for all kinds of things. Every war is always, a, you know, behind every war is a religion. And it's like God gets blamed for everything. But can I just put a challenge out there? How many of you woke up this morning and said, wow, thank you for the gift of a brand new day? Because there's some people around the world that woke up this morning and loved ones were lost during the night. And here we are. It's a gift. How many of you said, wow, God, you gave me air to breathe. Thank you. You're so good. You're so good. You gave me air to breathe. Didn't have to. Uh, here's a news flash. If you don't breathe, dun, 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 you die. <laughs> and God gives us air to breathe. He gives us air to breathe. Some of us probably did things and said things we regret, but God still gave you air to breathe. So kind, so good. He gives us talents and gifts. Even from the desire just to cook a basic meal and the joy that that brings to some of you. You just love doing that kind of thing. That gift, that desire was from God. Thank you, God, for your goodness. I don't know if you've noticed, but some of the sunsets we've been having lately, have you noticed some of the sunsets? Oh, God, you're so good. I mean, just the fact that we have colour. I mean, I grew up in a, in a world where we had black and white television. That was, you know, it was black and white TV. And maybe that's why I appreciate colour more than most, because I grew up with black and white television. And, and you look, wow, imagine if the world was black and white. Oh, but God says colour. I never forget driving through the rainforest in Queensland. I was just enjoying the beauty of God. And I saw this, this green thing shining in the distance and I was so annoyed. I thought, who would flip and throw rubbish out here? So mad. Why would you go and throw something out here? And as I got closer, I realised it wasn't rubbish at all. It was just the grass with some dew on it and the sunlight catching it. And it made for such brilliant green grass 
that I thought someone had thrown some paper out. Because I thought it's so great, I thought it's so brilliant, it was so green, it was seemingly so out of place. I thought God wouldn't do that, it must be people. And it was God. I'm like, wow, you're so good. You're so good. In our pain, in our trials, in our hurt, in our disappointment, in our disillusionment, never stop God being good. But we don't always see his goodness. And so the challenge from James is to have our minds renewed and our eyes opened and our hearts softened. And I think if we could apply these five things out of the book of James, the next time we face hardship or the hardship that we're presently going through, it could cause in us a stability and some stickability not to give up and not give in. Because the last thing this church or any other church needs is just double-minded men and women. You hear this, oh, it must be true. You hear that, oh, that must be true. Oh, that must be true. No, no, get planted, get strong, get grounded, get rooted. And understand that God is a good God. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au. 